Please be seated. Our text this morning is found in Jonah. We'll be reading chapters 1, verse 17, through the whole of chapter 2. It can be found on page 774 in the Bibles in the pews. Jonah chapter 1, verses 17 through chapter 2, 10. And the Lord appointed a great fish to swallow up Jonah. And Jonah was in the belly of the fish three days and three nights. Then Jonah prayed to the Lord his God from the belly of the fish, saying, I called out to the Lord out of my distress, and he answered me. Out of the belly of Sheol I cried, and you heard my voice. You, for you cast me into the deep, into the heart of the seas, and the flood surrounded me. All your waves and your billows passed over me. Then I said, I am driven away from your sight, yet I shall again look upon your holy temple. The waters closed in over me to take my life. The deep surrounded me. Weeds were wrapped about my head at the root of the mountains. I went down to the land whose bars closed upon me forever. Yet you brought up my life from the pit, O Lord my God. When my life was fainting away, I remembered the Lord, and my prayer came to you into your holy temple. Those who pay regard to vain idols forsake their hope of steadfast love. But I, with the voice of thanksgiving, will sacrifice to you what I have vowed I will pay. Salvation belongs to the Lord. And the Lord spoke to the fish and it vomited Jonah out upon dry land. Let us pray together and seek the Lord's wisdom as we seek to understand his word. Father God, we thank you for your word. We thank you for this part of Jonah's story, this part of Jonah's life, where you, by nothing short of your grace, reached down and rescued him from his misery, from his sin, from his rebellion. God, would you help us to understand this passage this morning with your spirit? May you lead us into all truth, and may we see the beauty and the glory of your grace given to us through Christ Jesus all the more. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen. If you followed the news last month, you may have stumbled upon the story of a missing yoga instructor in Hawaii. This woman was lost in a treacherous, treacherous and dangerous area of the forest for 17 days. She had gone for a short hike without water, without her phone, and without any other sort of supplies that you would need to go on a hike. And she lost her bearings after taking a brief break to meditate, as she confessed. No matter what she tried, she could not regain her sense of direction. She eventually chose a path to follow and followed it. Unfortunately, the path led away from her car, away from the main area of the forest, and deeper into the heart of the jungle. And after nearly a week of searching, the police abandoned the search. And if it was not for her families and volunteers, they kept it going for the additional 10 days. She was eventually found sunburned, scraped up by the terrain. I think she had a broken ankle and severely dehydrated. She survived on wild berries and guava and water that she said was clear enough to drink. It was rather shocking to, to those who found her that her condition was not actually much worse. It, a helicopter successfully spotted her in a creek bed surrounded by waterfalls. And once she was recovered and back home, this woman actually took to Facebook to post both a thank you and an apology. She was obviously very grateful for those who worked hard to find her, but she was also remorseful for her own failure to make wise decisions, particularly before heading out on her hike. 
In her video, she, she says, and I quote, I just want to apologize for any kind of rescue efforts people feel were unnecessary. I also thank every single person that showed up. I am in such awe and gratitude. I realized that I was irresponsible, that I should have had my cell phone with me, that I should have had some water with me, some kind of preparatory tools that you bring with you when you go hiking. She was thankful for the rescue in spite of her poor decisions. She knew that things could have and probably should have gone a lot worse. Jonah, in Jonah chapter 2, has reached a similar point in his story. He is in a place where rescue is now his only hope. Only Jonah has not simply made a string of bad choices. He hasn't simply left some water behind, forgot his cell phone. No, he has blatantly and blatantly forsaken the command of the Lord God and run in his opposite direction. And Jonah is not lost as we see in some forest. He is sinking in the open sea. He is descending further and further into the depths. Without rescue, and that being of a miraculous kind, Jonah will suffer the ultimate consequences for his sin and his rebellion. He will drown. But to his surprise, the Lord sends such a miraculous rescue. The Lord graciously intervenes to keep Jonah from getting what he deserves. And the only thing that Jonah can do in this prayer is respond with thankfulness. So like Jonah, may we give thanks to God whose grace saves us from our own sin and its consequences. May we give thanks to God whose grace saves us from our sin and its consequences. This call to give thanks for God's rescuing grace will flow out of Jonah's prayer from inside the belly of the fish. In it, we will see how first rebellion ends in grief. Then we will see that rescue is of grace and that rescue leads to gratitude. Again, that's rebellion ends in grief. Rescue is of grace and rescue leads to gratitude. We begin with rebellion brings grief. Or simply, we could say that sin always promises joy, but it only delivers misery. This has been the story since the day in the garden, when the serpent promised Adam and Eve the blessing of being like God. But instead of blessing, Adam and Eve received curse, not only for themselves, but for all of mankind. And how many times have we experienced this misery in our own lives? We want true satisfaction, we want true joy, we want true blessing, and we know where we can find it. And yet sin holds out the promise of something seemingly better. It offers what it says is a deeper joy, a more pleasing satisfaction, a more immediate delight. And then when we do indulge, we end up in misery. Sure, it may not be immediate misery, but it will come. Sin always leads to sorrow. And this is exactly where Jonah finds himself. Running away did not immediately bring grief. He boarded that ship unimpeded. He's headed for Tarshish. He even managed to get a good nap in the midst of the storm. And if not for the sailors, he may have been able to sleep through the entire storm, for all we know. But now Jonah has traded the dark recesses of that ship for the dark recesses of the cold and unforgiving open sea. Being thrown overboard plunged Jonah into the misery of his rebellion. 
Now, when I was a kid, I always pictured the sailors tossing Jonah out of the ship directly into the mouth of the great fish. And this was largely due to a misunderstanding that the fish is the climax of Jonah's misery. And in all honesty, the fish is no five-star hotel. The smells would have triggered reflux. The close quarters would have driven any mad, sane person insane, would have driven them mad. The darkness would have been haunting. But the truth is, as we shall see, the fish is Jonah's rescue. It was the vehicle of his salvation, not the source of his misery. Jonah's misery is his drowning. It was his sinking into the depths. We don't know how long, but we know that the period between Jonah getting tossed from the ship and swallowed by the fish was long enough for Jonah to be in agony. Listen to what he says. He says that he, out of my distress, I called out to the Lord. He says that all your waves, your billows passed over me. He says the waters closed in over me to take my life. The deep surrounded me. Weeds were wrapped about my head as the root at the roots of the mountains when my life was fainting away. This is a pretty bleak picture of a man drowning. It's, it's a shock that Jonah is even able to vocalize a prayer at all. On the surface, Jonah would have faced wave after wave bombarding him. He would have been fighting to keep his head above water. Finally, when he sunk down under, he would have slowly descended deeper and deeper. The light from the surface would have grown darker and darker until it altogether disappeared. Jonah's sin and rebellion would, had brought him to this place of death. And it does not get any more miserable than this. Some of you here might actually know what this distress, what this extreme anxiety and sorrow may feel like. It may not be drowning, but your sin, maybe this morning, has brought you to a place of intense grief. It has brought you to a place of misery. We know that Jonah's descent began all the way back in verse 3 of chapter 1, and it has now reached rock bottom. He has nowhere further down to go. I can only imagine the physical misery involved with drowning. The closest I have come is getting completely rocked by waves at the beach. And those five to ten seconds of rolling and tumbling provide just enough misery. I don't need to experience anything closer. I'm good. But Jonah is also feeling another type of misery. It isn't just the physical anguish and sorrow of drowning. He is in spiritual misery. He is in anguish. Because as the reality of his death is sinking in, there's a more haunting reality also sinking in. He says that out of the belly of Sheol I, I cry. Then I said, I am driven from away from your sight. I went down to the land whose bars closed upon me forever. Jonah, the one who sought to run away from the presence of the Lord, is finding out just how horrible of a place that really is. It is a place far from the Lord's holy temple where Jonah's gaze seems to be fixed even as he's drowning. It is a hopeless place. Jonah echoes the cry similar to David in Psalm 31, verse 22, where he says, I am cut off from your sight, O Lord. This is the agonizing cry of all God's people when facing trouble, whether it's other or self-inflicted. It is a fear of being outside of God's presence, of no longer knowing and sensing 
his nearness. And this is the depth of sin's misery. Sin moves us away from the very source of life and source of hope. This was Jonah's greatest misery, his greatest agony. Drowning was but the tip of the iceberg, and so he finally cries out to the Lord for rescue. And remember, Jonah repeatedly has refused to cry out. He refused to cry out on behalf of the people of Nineveh in verse 2. He refused to cry out on behalf of himself and the sailors in the storm. He refused to cry out for mercy even as they hurled him from the side of the boat. It took Jonah a trip to the depths of the sea. It took him tasting the physical and spiritual grief of his sin to finally drive him back to the one he was running from. May we not be fooled. Sin and rebellion will always, always lead to grief and misery. Sometimes the grief is immediate. You experience it as soon as you say those awful words, as soon as you think that hate-filled thought, or the moment that you do that evil deed. The misery hits you right over the head. But other times it can be delayed. You may find yourself on the boat asleep. You may think you have managed to escape it. But rest assured, the other shoe will eventually drop. Misery will come, even if it takes days or weeks or even years to pass by. Sin cannot bring delight. It can only bring grief. And worse still, sin brings eternal misery and sorrow. It warrants the great misery of spending not just a moment apart from God's grace and mercy, but an eternity. And this is what awaits all who reject Christ and continue in their sin and rebellion. The eternal anguish of God's judgment against sin. Escape such misery by turning from your rebellion to the eternal peace and comfort provided in Christ. But while rebellion does bring misery, we also see that the Lord's rescue is of grace. The salvation of the Lord is from him alone. It is void of any human effort. It is void of any human merit. Jonah ends his prayer confessing the Lord's sovereignty in verse 9, where he says, salvation belongs to the Lord. It is his to dispense as he sees fit, It is his to accomplish as he determines. The author, as he did with the storm, makes it abundantly clear where this fish came from. He says in verse 17, the Lord appointed a great fish to swallow Jonah. The fish did not stumble upon Jonah. It was not following the boat, waiting for someone to fall off it, like the crocodile in Peter Pan. It was created and sent by the Lord to save Jonah. The fish was the divinely chosen means of God's rescue. Now I am sure Jonah would have preferred a different option, maybe one with more space and a lot less smell. Could the Lord have just sent another ship that happened to be going back to Joppa? Or maybe he could have even called for one of those underwater volcanoes to kind of shoot Jonah out from the depths right back up to the surface and he's saved. I mean, he is the creator, so surely none of these things are outside of the realm of possibility. But it is the Lord's sovereign plan, and in his plan, he chose the unlikely and miraculous vessel of a fish. This fish would glorify God by saving Jonah. 
Everything that happened to Jonah was a part of God's sovereign plan. It was the Lord who put Jonah in the sea. Jonah confesses as much when he says, For you cast me into the deep, into the heart of the sea. While this isn't necessarily a confession of guilt on Jonah's behalf, it is a truthful confession. The sailors were simply doing what the Lord had intended. The Lord was the one who put Jonah into the sea. However, Jonah's rescue was not only determined by the Lord, it was also done without any help or any effort from Jonah. In verse 6, Jonah confesses this climax of his rescue. Yet you brought up my life from the pit, O Lord my God. Jonah did nothing to save himself. There was nothing he could do. He was in the pit, knowing that his life was fainting away. And at that moment of his rescue, Jonah was as good as dead. Drowning people can't save themselves. But it wasn't only that Jonah could not save himself, he had forsaken all hope of rescue. He declares that those who pay regard to vain idols forsake their hope of steadfast love. Jonah probably thought he was pointing back to those pagan sailors, but he was ultimately pointing the finger back at himself. He may not have worshipped idols, but still he had no claim for rescue because he was in active rebellion against the Lord. Jonah's entire prayer, we see, is reminiscent of many of the prayers of thanksgiving throughout the Psalms, but it's eerily similar to one particular one in Psalm 18. In that Psalm, we find David, the Lord's servant, is in a life-threatening situation like Jonah, and he cries out for rescue. Here are some of the words that David says in Psalm 18. The cords of death encompassed me. The cords of Sheol entangled me. In my distress, I called upon the Lord. To my God, I cried for help. From his temple, he heard my voice. Very similar language to Jonah. Both men cry out to the Lord in fear of death, and both were answered by a gracious rescue. But note what David says in his confession a little bit later on. He says, The Lord dealt with me according to my righteousness. According to the cleanness of my hands, he rewarded me. For I have kept the ways of the Lord and have not wickedly departed from my God. David rested in the promise of God's faithfulness towards those who are faithful. Jonah, uh, David knew that he had refused to harm Saul no matter how many opportunities he was given to do so. His suffering was because he trusted in the Lord's promise and the Lord's plan. Jonah? Jonah is anything but righteous and clean. I think we've made that abundantly clear in these first two chapters. He has not kept the Lord's ways. He has wickedly departed. It sounds harsh, but Jonah deserves to drown. He has done nothing to warrant God's rescue. He, like you and like myself, has only his sin. And yet the Lord shows himself true to his name. A gracious God and merciful, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and relenting from disaster. From beginning to end, Jonah's rescue was the work of God's grace. Jonah did not deserve it. He did not earn it. The Lord rescued Jonah by putting him in the belly of a fish for three days and three nights. Jerry read earlier from Matthew chapter 12, verses 38 through 42. And in it, Jesus said, For just as Jonah was three days and three nights in the belly of the great fish, so will the Son of Man be three days and three nights in the heart of the earth. The connections between Jesus and Jonah are many. 
Both preach repentance to a wicked generation. Both appeared alive after death, Jonah's death being figurative and private. But unlike Jonah, Jesus was not in the grave, was not in a fish, he was in the grave. Jonah needed God's gracious rescue. Jesus was God's gracious rescue. He was the sinless one come to save rebellious and drowning sinners. He suffered grief in the ultimate sense when he fulfilled the words of Psalm 31, I am cut off from your sight. Unlike Jonah, Jesus died. He went into the grave to take the punishment for our sin. He died the death that you and I and every human being who has ever lived deserved. And by walking out of the grave, he defeated death, guaranteeing our rescue. Salvation is all of God's grace. It is God's gift to all who rest in Christ by faith. It is an undeserved rescue. It is not what we might expect. But only this rescue can truly deliver us from our sin. Only Christ can keep us from the eternal misery of our rebellion against a holy God. There is no other rescue. For as Peter boldly declared in Acts chapter 4, there is, no sal- there is salvation in no one else. For there is no other name under heaven given among men by which you must be saved. Jesus Christ was the eternal plan from eternity past. The grace of God extended to sinners like us. Your good works cannot rescue you. Your best intentions cannot save you. Your vague spirituality, if that's what you cling to this morning, cannot deliver you. Other religions cannot save. Your parents, your relatives, your friends cannot save you. They cannot deliver you from the misery and the consequences of your sin and rebellion. There is only one rescue. It is solely of God's amazing grace poured out through the perfect blood of Jesus Christ, his son. Stop trying to save yourselves. Even those of us who are in Christ Jesus this morning needed to be, need to be reminded of this. We need to stop trying to save ourselves. We need to receive his rescue. We need to rest in it day in and day out. It will not fail us. It is all of his grace. So we see that rebellion leads to misery, that rescue is of grace, and then finally we see that rescue leads to gratitude. The natural response to God's deliverance is praise. It is thankfulness. It is worship. For all of Jonah's faults, and there are many, still many going on in this passage, he gets this one thing right. He does not wait until he's out of the belly of the fish to sing the praises of the Lord God. This prayer, this song of thanksgiving, we are told, is proclaimed in the belly of the fish. And as we've noticed, this prayer mimics many of the other psalms. Later today, if I can encourage you, go read Psalm 107. It captures heart-filled worship as a response to the Lord's salvation. And in it, there are details of people from all walks of life that the Lord saves. There's wanderers, there's prisoners, there's fools. There are those who are filled with fear and anxiety. And all of them experience God's rescue. And all of them proclaim four times in that psalm, let them thank the Lord for his steadfast love, for his wondrous works to the children of man. Worship is the true and right response whenever the Lord rescues. 
Jonah is simply the next person to fall in line. He joins the countless other individuals who have been plunged into the depths of God's amazing grace. Jonah knows where he was. He knows he was dead. He knows he was hopeless. And he does what the pagan sailors did in verse 16 of chapter 1. He worships. He says, but I with a voice of thanksgiving will sacrifice to you what I have vowed I will pay. Jonah is eagerly excited and expecting to get back to the holy temple of the Lord, to participate in the worship of the Lord. He offers his praise now in the belly of this fish in eager anticipation of joining the company of the Lord to celebrate his deliverance. Is this how we view our gatherings each and every Sunday morning? Do we come with hearts full of thanks and praise because salvation belongs to the Lord? Are we eager to lift up our hearts and our voices alongside our fellow brothers and sisters from whom or for, for whom the Lord has brought all of us up from the pit? I wish I could say that this is how I feel each and every Sunday. But sadly, I would rather complain about the difficult things. May the Lord change my heart as well as yours to praise him for his grace and salvation day in and day out, and particularly when we have the privilege of gathering together as the redeemed of the Lord. But before I heap too much praise on Jonah, I have to also admit I struggle a little bit with him even in this text. On the one hand, Jonah is genuinely thankful for the Lord's rescue. It seems very clear. He was in a position of death. He is thankful. He is rejoicing that the Lord has saved him. I don't want to discredit his genuine worship. However, if you are familiar with the Psalms, you know that there is something glaringly absent in Jonah's prayer. We would expect there to be elements of maybe a Psalm 51. Have mercy on me, O God. Wash me thoroughly from my iniquity. Or maybe some Psalm 32. I will confess my transgressions to the Lord. But never once do we see Jonah mention his sin. He never confesses or repents of his turning and his running from the Lord. At times it even sounds like he's almost accusing God. He says, you cast me into the deep. Your waves and your billows passed over me. I am driven away from your sight. While this certainly acknowledges God's sovereignty, also has a little bit of Jonah's denial in there. Now some have made argue that Jonah is contrite as he prays from the belly of the fish. But I think he is still a little bit rebellious. And for one, because we're going to see in chapter 4 that even this dramatic and, and gracious rescue has not yet changed Jonah's heart. He is still the rebellious and stubborn prophet, even while he's singing the praises of the Lord's rescue from the belly of the fish. But however, what is clear is that the Lord still hears and responds to Jonah's cry, even when he's in his rebellion. And this can and should encourage each and every one of us this morning. We just sang, just as I am. We don't have to be perfect. We don't have to be cleaned up to receive the Lord's rescue. It is of grace. But it should also challenge and warn us. Jonah, even after this great rescue, did not learn his lesson. We ultimately will not know what happens to Jonah, even at the end of this book. But may we not be like him. When we taste God's grace, may it not only move us to thankfulness and praise, 
but may it move us to confession and repentance. May the abundant grace of God that rescues sinners like us move us from our sin and towards God's holiness, towards being more and more like Jesus Christ. The proper responses to God's gracious rescue in Christ are endless. The Bible is full of them. But the first response is always thankfulness. It is to adore the Lord who has been gracious and merciful towards sinners like us. Are you thankful this morning? Do you start each and every day in praise for the salvation that is yours? Do you end each and every day, whether it's been a wonderful day, a horrible day, or somewhere in between, in praise for the salvation upon which you stand? Again, I confess I don't. I would rather start the day complaining of everything I have to do or the fact that I have to get up, or maybe about the daily frustrations and the burdens of life. How foolish and how silly of me to do that. I have been rescued from my sin and my rebellion against the God who created me, the Father who loves me. I have tasted his grace in Christ every day since. My heart should overwhelm with gratitude. I should struggle to contain it. This is the natural response and the right response for the people of God. May we learn to be thankful daily for the gracious rescue that is ours in Christ Jesus. The stranded hiker from Hawaii found herself in an extremely bad situation. Her error and her folly brought her to the brink of death. If it were not for the perseverance of her family and the countless volunteers, she likely would not have survived one day more than the already miraculous 17 days. She knew it, she confessed it, and she was quick to express her gratitude to those who saved her life. In a moment, we're going to sing the familiar words of Amazing Grace as our hymn of response. Amazing Grace, how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. I once was lost, but now I'm found, was blind, but now I see. It is an appropriate song of thankfulness, having been reminded of the Lord's gracious rescue of sinners. Sinners like Jonah, sinners like John Newton, the author of that hymn. Sinners like you and like me. We are, we're all drowning in the sea of our sin and rebellion. We were all without hope. But God, being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved. May this fill our hearts with praise and worship, not only today, but each and every day, as long as the Lord keeps us here. Give thanks to God whose grace saves us from our sin and its consequences. Let us pray. Father God, we praise your name. You are a gracious God. You are merciful. You are abounding in steadfast love. God, you continually pour out your grace to sinners like us. Would you forgive us for being anything but thankful and grateful for your great salvation. Thank you that you have rescued us, not only from the day-to-day -day trials and difficulties of this life, but God, you have ultimately rescued us from sin and judgment through your son. Would we run to him? Would we seek refuge in him each and every day? Would you drive us closer to yourself? We pray this in Christ's name. Amen.